1: and ladies and gentlemen, don't you just love those old commercials? Well, I do. <laughs> Even the cigarette commercials, and I've never been a cigarette person. But um, this is Monica Jones, a.k.a. Pepsi Mama. And I welcome you to another edition of the um Yeah, the afternoon radio theater Sunday, which this time is being done on Saturday from now on. And Sunday is still spelled S-U-N-D-A-E, like the ice cream. Um, That's because sometimes I get in the way of things where I want a Sunday as a treat. So I'll make up one <laughs> uh, but anyway, I hope you like what you hear and oh beside me is my tech geek and friend and I guess you call him co-host Victor Gouveia.
0: hello everybody
1: and um he doesn't let me get by with a thing. <laughs>
0: do no, let you sure what I,
1: I said. You didn't let me by, get by with anything. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, really, we work. We work be- well together, and I'm glad to have him. But hope you like what you hear. And if you want to hear us live, you can hear us on Facebook under "Whose Blind Life Is It Anyway." Uh, under Twitter at blind who's and under YouTube at whose blind life is it anyway? And I was trying to type that to somebody in an email this morning and I got all flustered and I think I got it wrong. But now we're going right. Um. But if you can't listen to us live, um. Listen to our podcast, the Afternoon Radio Theater Sunday Podcast. Uh, You can find it through just about any podcast player you want to find it through. Uh, Anything except Audible. And um, we're not good enough for them yet, so maybe someday. But, uh, you know, you got your Spotify, your Google, your... um, Oh, what's that one I use?
0: Alexa?
1: Uh, well, sometimes. Yeah, Alexa, she'll just play them right on through for you. But mm-hmm. uh, Q-Cast. Q-Cast, QCAST, that's the one. Um, but anyway, I uh, think I've covered the basics. Oh, if you want to send us an email with gripes, grumbles, or suggestions, I hope it's suggestions or um, things you've really enjoyed. Uh, re- yes, dear, requests mm-hmm. and things you've really enjoyed. Um, write to me at afternoon radio theater sunday S-U-N-D-A-E, remember at gmail.com. And so now that I think I've covered all of the basics, today We're going to listen to Academy Award Theater. And I I love this show. It's what it's done. It's taken uh, movies that have been nominated or have received an Oscar and um, put this little award theater together. So you see about 30 minutes of a real time movie but um anyway they do a pretty good job with it and the first one that i'm going to show is um betty davis i love betty davis i don't care what she did does whatever she doesn't do much anymore she may be dead but <laughs> i love all the, i love all these old movies and victor says he wishes he could just run for the uh, <laughs> for the road but uh This first one is Betty Davis in one called Jezebel. And um, she kind of plays a little mean, flirty girl in this one. And I think the movie, the play should have played more than it did. So you could have seen what really happened. But uh, uh, maybe you can find it on the Lux Radio Theater if you want to see the real movie. But anyway, uh, her boyfriend is about to marry somebody else, and she doesn't care for it. So, it's a big problem. So here we go, Betty Davis in just (laughs) now.
2: The House of Squib presents the finest in motion picture entertainment, Academy Awards.
3: The House of Squib, manufacturing chemist of the medical profession since 1858, brings you Academy Awards. The pictures, the players, the techniques and skills which have won or have been nominated
2: for the coveted awards granted each year by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences to each in his field for outstanding achievement. Squib on the air brings you only the finest in motion picture art. Squib in your home brings you only the finest medicinal product, pure, effective, reliable.
3: Squib, a name you can trust. Tonight's picture is Jezebel. Tonight's star is the distinguished Warner Brothers player, who has been nominated seven times for awards, has won the prize Oscar twice, past president of the Academy, Miss Betty Davis. With Miss Davis tonight appears another Academy Award winner, Miss Anne Revere who won this year's Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in National Velvet. And now, Miss Betty Davis.
4: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Miss Revere and I feel very honored to be on this first presentation of Academy Awards, those awards that mean so very much to all of us in the motion picture industry. Jezebel was written for radio by Frank Wilson with an original musical score composed and conducted by Lee Stevens and our producer-director is Dee Engelbach.
2: Academy Award, starring Betty Davis in her 1938
3: award-winning role of Julie Marsden with Ann Revere as Aunt Belle in Jezebel.
4: like the end of our world. General Bogardus and I stood in the street of New Orleans that dawn of 1851, listening to the depressing sound of the cannon as it was fired to dispel the fever which hung like a plague over the city. It seemed like the end of Julie's World too. We watched her slowly walk beside poor Preston Dillard as they carried into the island of the dead.
2: Come, my dear, you you can't stay in this street. Ah, Dawn is breaking. The morning shield is penetrating. And in these dangerous days, Miss Bell, what are you thinking?
4: I'm thinking of a woman called Jezebel, who did evil in the sight of God. And yet I wonder, I wonder. Child, you're out of your mind. You know you can't wear a red dress with an Olympus ball, Can't I? This is 1850, Thompson. 1850? Not the Dark Ages. Girls don't have to sit around in white just because they're not married. You do not insult every woman on the floor. You can't be serious. Never more serious in my life. But think of Preston. That's just what I am thinking of. Mr. Preston Dillard who thinks that he can let his own affairs come before me, his future wife. <laughs>
2: That started it, Miss Bell. That damnable red dress.
4: But that wasn't Julie's
2: fault. Oh, if Preston Dillett had only taken my advice the night he came to call. I remember. You said... Your generation doesn't understand women, sir. Why, maybe not, General Bogartis. Nowadays, hmm, no proper respect for our southern womanhood. Think your father would have allowed the lady of his choice to have come surging to his place of business this morning? Miss Julie didn't know I was presiding at a meeting, sir. Of course not, Preston. But even if the lady upstairs is my ward... I feel you should know what your father would have done. What would father have done, sir? Your father, sir, would have cut him a hickory, sir. He would have flailed the living daylights out of her. And then helped her put lard on the whelps and brought her a diamond brooch. That's what he would have done, sir. And she'd have loved it. Where is Miss Julie? Why, she asked
4: me to please excuse her, Press. Is she ill? Why, no, Press.
2: She's as sound as a nut. You'll pardon me a moment, please. Take all the time you need, my boy.
4: I do believe Mr. Dillard is going up the stairs after Julie. He's taking his walk container.
2: Julie, it's crash. Open the door. I want to talk to you. Julie, why don't you answer? Look here, Julie. You and I got to straighten things out. Oh, there's no sense to all this. I'm here because I love you. Because you love me. But there are some things we've got to set straight. Darling, if you just open the door, I'm sure I could. Julie! Open up at once!
4: Who is it? Open this door! Why, Press? Banging at a lady's bedroom door. I'm scandalized that. Well, did you come here just to stand there? I see you brought a stick. I'm waiting. When does the chastisement
2: begin? I came up here to. Oh, Julie, how long must we go on like this?
4: Like what, Fred?
2: Fussing like a couple of children.
4: Why do you treat me like a child, then?
2: Oh, Julie, I love you. Spoiled child or not. Well,
4: in a lady's bedroom. Now you'll have to marry me. Oh,
2: Oh, look at me, darling. When I come in, I was going to beat you.
4: Really? Now would you like to see my new dress?
2: That's what I wanted to do all day. Well, let me go, then.
4: There it is, for
2: well, the Olympus Ball.
4: Yes, isn't it is lovely.
2: But you can't wear red to the Olympus Ball. Why not? Well, you never saw an unmarried girl in anything but white. You know that. It's the custom. It Has certain significance.
4: Are oh, you afraid I'll be taken for one of those girls from Gallatin Street? Julie. Oh, of course. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to know about things like Gallatin Street. I'm just supposed to simp around in white.
2: So that's it. You're nursing your spite. Well, I'm not gonna let you. For once, you're gonna do as I say. Julie, I'm calling for you tomorrow night at ten, and you're gonna be properly dressed for the ball in white. Good night.
4: Oh, perhaps, son, you forgot to stick. <laughs>
2: She must have been getting scared over wearing that dress after what Press said to her. Yes,
4: but her pride. Confound
2: her fiendish pride. You know that she tried to get Buck Cantrell to take her to the ball without telling Press? Yes, I
4: knew later. Poor drinking, jewel, and easy-going Buck Cantrell.
2: He loved her, too. Uh, thanks heaven he refused her. He was a gentleman and an honorable man. I told you she'd be
4: ready on time. Julie, we're ready to go. Julie, you promised me not to.
2: So you wore it after all.
4: Isn't it obvious? Shall we go, Fred?
2: Not until you're properly dressed.
4: Oh, why must everyone be so proper? Why don't you admit, Mr. Villa, that you're afraid? Afraid someone will insult me and you'll find it necessary to defend you. Julie.
2: You're wrapped, Miss Marsden. May I? You ready, Aunt Belle? The president. She can't. She can. She will. We are ready, sir. Miss Bell, my arm. And yours,
4: Mr. Bell. <laughs> Thank you.
2: My, my dear Miss Bell, have you noticed Justin's face? Looks more like his father than ever tonight. And I never saw Tom Dillard look like that without somebody got killed. Theophilus, I'm just plain
4: scared for her.
2: May I take your wrap, my dear? It's,
4: well, the ballroom seems a little cool.
2: I think we'll find it much warmer inside. Come.
5: <laughs>
2: Gentlemen, you all have the pleasure of Miss Marden's acquaintance, I think.
4: Gentlemen...
2: Good evening. As long as, uh, <clears throat> yonder comes my partner. You'll excuse me. Of course, sir. You haven't a partner you have to meet, Cantrell? Why, no. Came alone. A pleasant evening, isn't it? Mighty pleasant. Nice and cool. Do you find it cool in here? I don't find it particularly cool. Do you, Julie?
4: Why, no.
2: I don't find it particularly cool. Mr. Lee doesn't find it so. Perhaps it's something in the atmosphere that's peculiar to you. Why, no, I reckon not.
3: Now you speak of it, it's just about right. It seems so to me.
5: Tess,
3: please
4: take me out
2: of here. Well, my dear, we haven't danced yet, shall we? No. Oh, yes, we will.
4: Gotta take me off this floor. I
3: can't. It's my own brother dancing with her.
4: Everyone is leaving the floor. No respectable girl will dance while she's dancing. That dress is an insult. Take me off this instant. If I beg you, take me away from here. I can't endure it. No,
2: we came to dance. We should go on. Oh, we're then.
4: alone on the floor. How so
2: much the better? Oh,
4: please let go of me. If you don't, let go of it's me.
2: It's a beautiful ball. Don't you think so much? Oh, model. take
5: me away from here. Take me away. <laughs>
2: Good night, Aunt General Bogarty, sir.
4: You're not coming in for it? No, ma'am. Good night.
2: Good
5: night.
4: Well.
2: Goodbye, Julie.
4: Is that all you've got to say to me?
2: There's nothing more to say.
4: Even if I was wrong?
2: You couldn't be wrong. You're Julie Marsden.
4: I might have down on my knees.
2: It'd be interesting, but utterly useless.
4: Evidently, you've made up your mind.
2: No, Julie. You've made up my mind.
4: Well, then... Goodbye, Pray.
2: Goodbye, Julie.
4: Julie, don't let him go. Go after him. Me? After him? Yes, Julie, quickly. Oh, Julie, you're such a fool. Not so big a fool. He'll come back. Not this time, he won't. Believe me. Wait and see. He'll come back. Yet tonight, I think, if he does say I've retired... And tell him I'm sleeping late in the morning. Not to come round till tomorrow afternoon. Truly. Tell him. Tell him.
5: Tell him.
2: Before we continue tonight's story of Jezebel, starring Miss Betty Davis and Miss Anne Revere, I would like to tell you about a doctor who lived during the period of this picture, a doctor so devoted to the cause of human health that his zeal still inspires those who carry on his work. His name was Edward R. Squibb. He was appalled by the dangerously inferior quality of drugs then available. He set out to supply the medical profession with drugs that could be relied upon. That's how the company he founded in 1858... The House of Squibb first came to be known for medicinal products of purity, reliability, efficacy. And through the years, every member of the great family of Squibb products, from penicillin to dental cream, has been the result of painstaking study and research, of an endless quest for perfection. And that is why Squibb is a name you can trust. Now for part two of tonight's picture, Jezebel, starring the Academy Award winners Miss Betty Davis and Miss Anne Revere.
4: Dawn brought heavy mists, the persistent melancholy of booming fever cannon, a chill which sank deep into our souls.
2: She lost it lost press until Dillard through her own downright cussedness in flaunting herself in that red dress at the Olympus Ball.
4: Theophilus, you must understand, she didn't know about Press. After all, he was away for over a year. All during that time, she hardly went out of the house save to ride that wild, thoroughbred of hers.
5: Yes.
4: That quiet and moody. She wouldn't even have tried to escape the plague here in the city if she hadn't heard that Press was coming back. If she could have heard what she told me, he had to come to me, Annabelle. He couldn't help himself. You see, he wouldn't have had to fight as hard as I have to keep from going to him. We'll be married. I'm going to beg his forgiveness. I was vicious and mean and selfish, and I'm going to tell him I hated myself for being like that. I'll humble myself before him. All that ever stood between us will be gone when he takes me in his arms. There, there, child. Perhaps we'd, we'd better go to the plantation now that press is coming. Of course, Annabelle is the place for our meeting. We'd better start packing. We'll give a party, a party to celebrate. And they came, all of them, the old, old friends Buck Cantrell, Ted Billard Press's brother, Dr. Livingston. Everyone came to house him. And Julie was walking on the clouds and dressed herself in a white dress that she was to have worn to the ball with Press. And Press. He came, and when the carriage. When the carriage stopped. My heart stopped too. For oh, Julie.
2: Aunt Belle. Oh, it's wonderful to be back at Halcyon. I would have come even if I weren't invited.
4: My dear, dear Preston.
2: Aunt Belle, I have a surprise. This is Amy. My wife. His
4: wife. Preston Mary. I tried to get away to warn Julie, but I had to stay with our guests. And while I was upstairs, she found him as he was in the library at Halcyon. Press, don't move, Press. Are you remembering the time you wanted me to wear white? Oh, yeah. Well, until now, I never have. Cat got your tongue, Press. Julie. Oh, Press, what fools we were.
3: Please, that's over, Julie.
4: Yes, of course. Press, I can't believe it's you here. I've dreamed it so long. A lifetime. No. Longer than that. But, Julie, Oh, no, don't say it yet. I'll put on this white dress for you. To help me tell you how humbly I ask you to forgive me. See, Press, I'm kneeling
2: to you. Julie, don't.
4: I want to, Press. I must make you forgive me and love me as I love you
2: Julie. Get up, please.
4: I've been looking for you, Press.
2: Julie, this is Amy, my wife.
4: Where are you? Here, Aunt Bella. I was just about to congratulate Press on his marriage. I'm very happy, Mrs. Dillard, to welcome you to Housefield. Julie. Child, I'm so sorry. For heaven's sake, don't be gentle with me now. Do you think I want to be wept over? I've got to think, to plan. Julie, you can't fight marriage. Marriage? Marriage? That... That little washed-out Yankee. Press is mine. He's always been mine, and I'm going to have him. Press, why did you do it?
2: We'd better join the others.
4: Why? Because... Because I love her. No, you're not such a fool, not after you had my love. How much do you remember?
2: Everything you ever said or did. But it's past now. It's finished.
4: I ought to have come to you. I wanted to so terribly. So much that I couldn't. And you felt that way, too. That's what brought you back, Press. You had to come back to the country you know so well. Press, listen. The night noises. The moon through the cypresses. Can you taste the night on your tongue? It's part of you, Press. The mockingbirds and the magnolias. The blue haze on a spring morning when the air is so soft it presses you like a kiss. It's the river rolling forever. The country you were born to.
2: Julie, please don't do it. It's part
4: of you, Press. Just that I'm part of you and we'll never let you go. Press, put your arms around
2: me.
5: Oh,
4: Julie. This is your country, Press. Amy couldn't understand it. She thinks there'd be
2: snakes. Yes, and she'd be right. You talk about belonging. Amy's put her life and happiness in my hands. And they're going to be safe there. I think we'd better go in now. She tried to win him back. and when she failed, she did the unforgivable thing she ...set herself willfully to cause trouble.
4: Yes, dear. She seemed possessed that night.
2: I hear press had to go into the city.
4: Yes, they sent for him.
2: I hope he'll be all right. I had grave reports of conditions there. The plague is sweeping on despite all effort to check it. Hey,
3: they posted a governor's go all through the parish. No one will be permitted to leave the city or to enter it now. Oh,
4: I'm so worried about Press. A pity he had to leave now. But I suppose his bank comes first. Oh, well, Press is devoted to the bank. Rather, right, unfortunately so. You don't find that admirable, Miss Parker? <laughs> well, it just seems to me that there are other things more interesting.
3: <laughs> I imagine Buck finds it so, too. That's right, Miss Julie. I never go into a bank if I can help it. Why, Buck? Because it seems to me they're mostly always studying how they can get away something from somebody. Well, I'm sure Buck doesn't mean that the way it sounds.
4: I'm sure Mr. Cantrell is capable of defending his own insinuations.
3: Why, Mistress Dillard, I didn't mean to offend. I was just talking. Of course. Amy, he doesn't realize what he's saying. Doesn't even realize how Julie is using it.
4: Why, Buck, am I using you?
3: I'd be right happy if you'd explain that remark, sir. I'll explain it. You're fool enough to defend what you don't even understand. That Julie's been egging you on. First against Press, and now against his wife.
4: Well, that's pretty talk, isn't it, Buck?
3: Yes, Miss Julie. That's very impolite talk, Barry. Let's put it this way, Mr. Cantrell. All evening I thought you coarse and not a gentleman. Why, you win, so? At your service, sir. Pat,
4: you can't do this. I'm afraid, Mrs. Dillard, you don't understand our southern customs.
2: Gentlemen, will you please take your places, Remember, gentlemen, you turn and fire at the count of ten. Are you ready? Ready.
5: ready.
2: Very well. One, two, three,
5: four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten.
3: Come on, Amy, we're getting out of here. We're all going.
4: How do you propose to get through the guards? And there's yellow fever in the city. Surely my hospitality is better than the plague.
2: We'll get through. Good night, ma'am. I shall never speak to her again. Even though she returned one day from the dead...
4: When she heard that he was stricken, she had to come to him, don't you understand? She went through the swamp, passed the guards, risked her life to get to him.
2: His wife was at his side. She belonged there.
4: Julie belonged there, too. Amy understands that now.
2: She stole him away from Amy as she lay dying.
4: The Arthur, you must not judge.
2: me, Mrs. Dillard, it's unthinkable that you go with him there. Armed guards are coming to take him to the leper island. It's the law. All who catch the fever must go.
4: When they come for him, I'm going with him. No, you can't go, Amy. It is your right to go. You're his wife, but are you fit to go? Loving him isn't enough. If you gave him all your strength, would it be enough? I'll make him live. I die with him. Amy, do you know the Creole word for fever powder? For food, for water? Can you talk to a sullen, overworked black boy and make him fear you and help you? Press his life and yours will hang on words you can't say and you'll both surely die. I must go with him. Listen, Amy, they're coming. Coming for him. Oh, Amy, it isn't a question of proving your love by laying down your life for Press. Nothing so easy. Have you the knowledge and the strength to fight for his life and your own? Amy, it's no longer you or I. What do you mean? I'll make him live. I will. You see, I know how to fight better than you. I'll fight to the death itself. Where is he? Upstairs. Amy, you're the bravest woman I ever saw. I believe you even have the courage to save him by giving me the right to go in your place. Oh, you're not afraid to die. I know that. I boldly ask a greater sacrifice in Press's name, his life. You love him even more than I believe within your power. Oh, let me prove myself worthy of the love I bear him. Julie, tell me something which only you can tell me. Does Press still love you? He himself might know, but you would. Tell me. Amy, what does it matter who Press loves? It's his life that matters. Tell me! We both know Press loves his wife. Whom else could Press love? Not me, surely. I've done so much against him. Had there been any love in his heart for me, I'd have taken him away from you. I tried and failed because he loves only you. I'm grateful for you telling me, in your own way, what I had to know. Take care of them, Julie. I believe you've earned whatever right is mine. God protect you and friends. Go with him. Amy. Thank you.
5: Press. Press, press.
3: All right, let's get started. We've got to get him to the island.
4: hey press. press, I'm here. I'll always be here, Press. Press, darling. I'm here.
2: Miss Bell. They've gone. And there's no turning back. Come. You you cannot stay here in the street. Miss Bell. What are you thinking?
4: I'm thinking of... a woman called Jezebel... who did evil in the sight of God.
5: (laughs)
3: We are honored, ladies and gentlemen, on this first presentation of Academy Award, to introduce a distinguished artist, known and loved by you on the air as Dr. Christian, President of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, Mr. Gene Herschel.
2: Good evening. Miss Davis and Miss Reveille, your performances were superb. I also thank you, Miss Reveille, for so brilliantly playing the role of Ann Bell in place of Miss Faye Bainter, who is ill. And to you, Ms. Bainter, our best wishes for a speedy recovery. The Academy appreciates the significance of this series of broadcasts. We are grateful to ER, Squibb, and Sons for their vision and support in sponsoring these programs. The Academy is dedicated to lifting the standards of motion pictures even higher. It values this platform of expression and views with deep satisfaction the determination to make this radio program through a broad variety of great weekly broadcasts, an institution in the life of America. Next week, another great picture. The House of Squibb will present Academy Awards starring the beautiful and talented Ms. Ginger Rogers in her Oscar-winning performance of Kitty Foyle. Next week, it is Academy Awards starring Ginger Rogers in Kitty Foyle. Miss Betty Davis will soon be seen in A Stolen Life, produced by Warner Brothers also producers of Devotion. Miss Anne Revere will soon be seen in the 20th Century Fox production, Dragon Wing. This is Hugh Brundage bidding you goodnight until next week at the same time when the House of Squid invites you to join us for Academy Awards. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Hello.
1: Is my mic muted?
0: It was.
1: Oh, well, I done all that talking for nothing. I guess so. Sorry about that. Well, now I guess I'll start where I stopped. Okay. <laughs> this mutant and unmutant just tears me up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, ladies and gentlemen, my next my next play is uh, this is somebody that I just love to death and still do if I can ever catch her in a movie. But, uh, I don't have Turner classic movies or anything like that right now that shows those old pictures. But when I was a little bitty girl, I used to dream of being a ballerina and I would often play like that. Uh, I was getting lessons from Ginger Roger and they had these dolls at that time called bride dolls and somebody wanted to give me one and I thought it was just stupid and I told my mother I thought it was stupid at five years old and the reason I thought it was stupid was because it was a bo- it was a doll that you were just supposed to hang up and look at not play with. She was dressed up like a bride. So, one day, since nobody wanted me to look at it and play with it, I decided to make a ballet teacher out of it. I decided to call it Ginger Rogers, and she taught me all kinds of ballet steps well <laughs> who knows if they're they were real or not because I still can't I'm still a clumsy balletist so uh <laughs> but it was fun and um so. This one she's going to do is Kitty Foyle, so I hope you enjoy, Maestro.
2: The House of Squib presents the finest in motion picture entertainment Academy Awards. The House of Squibb, manufacturing chemists to the medical profession since 1858, bring you Academy Awards. The pictures, the players, the techniques and skills which have won or been nominated for the coveted awards granted each year by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences to each in his field for outstanding achievement. Squibb on the air brings you only the finest performances. Squibb in your home brings you only the finest medicinal products. Pure, effective, reliable. Squib, a name you can trust. Tonight's picture is Kitty Foyle. Tonight's star is the distinguished RKO player, Miss Ginger Rogers. And now, Miss Ginger Rogers.
4: Thank you. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My hope is that some of our excitement and pleasure in reenacting these Academy Award rules will be communicated itself to you through our performances. Also, it would be ungrateful of me if we were to do Kitty Foyle tonight without thanking the men who brought Kitty to the screen. So thank you, David Hempstead and Sam Wood. Kitty Foyle was written for radio by Frank Wilson with an original musical score composed and conducted by Lee Stevens. And our producer-director is Dee Engelbach.
2: Academy Award, starring Ginger Rogers in her 1940 Academy Award winning role of Kitty Foyle. Kitty! Kitty! Kitty girl! Yes, Pop? Check that tanning thing out. I
4: can't, Pop. I can't. I'm going too fast. I'm on a sleigh ride. <laughs> A sleigh ride. Well, it seems my whole life was spent on a sleigh ride. First it was Wynn Strafford, my mainline Prince Charming. But now it seems to be Mark Eisen, a good, dependable, trustworthy Mike. Mark, it was spring again in New York. And as Mark drove me home that evening, I had a hunch that this might be the spring of all my years.
2: Here we are, Kitty. Ocahontas Hotel. Home of Lonely Women. Uh, Kitty, wait.
5: Yes, Mark.
2: Kitty, will you... Will you take this ring?
4: Oh, Mark.
2: Well, you see, I, I've got lots of money tied up in this golden hoop, and there's no other way I can get any use out of it.
4: Well, Can't you find my finger, Mark?
2: You... You did say yes, didn't you? I mean, it's, it's, it's all clear. There's no confusion. You understand what I asked you.
4: You asked me to marry you, didn't you?
2: Oh, that's it. Exactly.
4: I got it. That's why I said kiss.
2: Kitty. When I'm getting around to... That... That fellow in Philadelphia. That's all over, huh? All over. Oh, then we're getting married tomorrow. Meet me at the hospital tonight. At huh? midnight. We'll go straight to Greenwich. Yes, Mark. I guess this will be farewell to the Pocahontas. Kiss all those dear old bachelor girls goodbye for me.
4: (laughs) I'll kiss them all, and then I'll pack like mad.
2: Okay. And meet me at St. Timothy's Hospital at 12. Smack on the dot.
4: 12? Smack on the dot, St. Timothy's.
2: Oh, good evening, Miss Foyle. Good
4: evening. My key, please. Thank you. Oh, you up my bill tonight. Oh, you're leaving? I'll say I am, Joe. I'm getting married. Oh, please send for my bags around 11.30.
5: Right.
2: Hello, Kitty.
4: When? What are you doing in my room?
2: You sent for me.
4: I sent for you? You sent
2: back the ring. Uh... Kitty, remember what I told you if you ever needed me or wanted me? Who would have me, send the ring back to me.
4: Oh, I forgot. That wasn't what I meant. I sent it back because that was all. That was the end. Don't
2: say that, Kitty. Oh, Kitty, there's no life for me without you. I want you. I need you. I love you this minute as I've never loved you before.
4: But when it's too late. Five years, too late.
2: No, Kitty, it'll never be too late. What we had can't die. I'm asking that we leave together for South America and be together always.
5: Oh,
4: don't ask me anything. Don't let me think. Oh,
2: darling, at last it all comes true.
4: Will we live happily ever after?
2: Forever and ever. When will we go? We sail at midnight. I'll be at the pier with everything arranged. Now, will you meet me there?
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Pier forty eight mm-hmm. midnight. Mm-hmm. Oh, Kitty, I love you. Don't be late. Mm-hmm.
4: Bye bye. When I When? Wait, when? Well, Kitty Foyle, here we go again. Maybe this time it's for keeps. You're making a mistake, you know. You're still on that sleigh ride. Oh, marriage isn't everything. What is it anyway? It's just a little piece of paper. A lot of fine things come out of that little piece of paper, Kitty. A home... Children, that's where Mark comes in again. And you'd be a lot happier with Mark and that little piece of paper than you ever could be with Win. You know what I think? I think you're wrong. <laughs> I remember you using those words once before. Remember way back when you lived on Griscom Street in Philadelphia? And Pop, what a grand guy he was. <laughs>
2: Ah, uh, Kitty, I guess an old heathen like
3: me never had any business trying to raise a daughter anyhow. I wanted to keep you from stubbing your
2: toe. I thought you had this junk rooted out of your mind. What junk? Cinderella and her blasted prince. Kitty, don't you see? It's... Oh, it's no good. Don't argue, Pop. I love him. You, this priest. <laughs> you said it. You mean you want to marry Winstrap? Mm-hmm. Does he ever ask you to meet his family?
4: Pop, he doesn't even know I love him yet. Big secret. But I've never worried much about his family because I've got a funny idea. I'm just as good as they are.
2: Kitty, great Judas Priest.
5: You've got to break your heart.
4: It was so easy to fall in love with him. You were doing it from the start. Falling in love with your boss. But there's no getting around it. Those were probably the happiest days in your life. Crazy, but nice. Like the first time he took you to New York. We've never been in a speakeasy before.
2: Best people in New York come here. And <laughs> ah, here we are, Mr. Stratford. My last bottle of Straker. Oh, thanks, Gino. Uh,
4: what's a straker?
2: It's Italian brandy. Oh, I mean... They say if two people drink it together, they'll never drink it apart.
4: When? Why did you bring
2: me here. Well, four or five years ago, I got into this place at Giono's. I liked it. I liked it because all of a sudden I felt free here. Philadelphia, the main line, all of those things that order my life, they disappear the minute I enter that door. Well, I wanted to make a good impression on you, so I brought you where I thought I most likely could do it. Well,
4: when I didn't mean to criticize you.
2: Kitty, I was just... Kitty I've got an idea. Will you go to the assembly with me this year?
4: Me? Are you kidding? No,
2: cross my heart.
4: That's funny. You know, when I was a little girl, I, I used to read in the papers about the assembly in Philadelphia, mm. cut out the pictures of the society ladies, their beautiful dresses, and use them for paper
5: dolls.
2: Uh, that's probably the best use they've ever been put to.
4: I know they've got yes. rules, and a committee that goes over the list of those invited did in. They come across somebody like Foyle, boom, and the next thing you know, you're being scraped off off the (laughs) sidewalk.
5: You
2: leave that to me. My mother's on that committee.
4: Oh, Wint, have you ever had a dream come to life right in front of your very eyes?
2: No, but I'm still hoping. Is it a date, Kitty?
4: I'm crazy, I know, but it's a date.
2: Come on. Let's get our wraps and get out of this smoky den.
4: Where are we going? I've got to go home pretty soon. We're
2: going to Lake Pocono just for an hour. See the sunset with her.
4: But it's already set.
2: Oh, you see the moonrise. I'll get you home in time for supper. Come on, Kitty. not much of a drive, and you belong in moonlight.
4: Lake Pocono and wind lodge in the mountains, snug and comfortable, exciting, and a million miles from everything but moonlight. Remembering that night is like putting your tongue in a sore tooth, that same sharp little twinge. Funny how love makes a woman quiet and a man talkative.
2: But Lancelot mused a little space. He said, she has a lovely face. God in his mercy lend her grace, the Lady of Shalott. Isn't that beautiful, darling?
4: Mm-hmm. Tell me about Beauty.
2: Gladly. You know, it's a man's duty to instruct woman in all subjects. How do you pick the subject?
4: Well, I've only got a few minutes, but um, tell me where we
2: are. We are in the Pocono Mountains, Mm -hmm. situated in the state of Pennsylvania.
4: No, but uh, where are we, really? In heaven?
2: No. In love.
4: Tell me about love.
2: Well, first, there was a man... And there was a woman.
4: Uh Oh, what did the man and the woman do?
2: Well, at first they just hung around. One night, a strange thing happened. What? They were sitting in front of a fire like this, and the firelight played upon the woman's face.
5: Uh
2: The man, for the first time, saw how beautiful she was. Looking into her eyes, he suddenly beheld all the wonders of life. Well, immediately, he made love to her.
4: Well, uh, didn't the woman object?
2: No. She loved him, too.
4: Why? Well. Because he was everything that she had ever dreamed of. Oh, my darling. I... couldn't go on like that. It just couldn't. Who did you ever think you were, Kitty Foyle? That you could live rent free and forever in paradise. Didn't you see it coming? Didn't you know the magazine was bound to fail? Couldn't you tell that he would say the things he said? Because, well, being him, he couldn't have said anything else. Did you have to hurt inside as if he'd stabbed you with a knife? Yes, Kitty Foyle, you did.
2: Well, the magazine's done. It's folded. It's finished. Ten thousand my mother gave me to spend. Now what will you do?
4: Me? Oh. Oh, that's right. I'm out of a charm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I might get one in New York.
2: I can't let you do that.
4: Why? Why not?
2: Because it, it's just silly. Sides it'd be too far apart.
4: Well, it is in China. Kitty.
2: Well, this is kind of delicate, but... Go on. Your father isn't very well, and you're all alone, and it's too much for you to handle.
5: Yes.
2: I mean, I feel that I'm kind of responsible. It isn't your fault the magazine failed, and so... Well, until you get another job, I don't want you to have to worry about money.
5: What
4: do you mean?
2: I'll just... Just keep you on the payroll. It's only fair, you know, because...
4: Just a minute. You don't need to worry about me, Wynn. I'm... Free, white, and twenty-one or almost, and I'd love you from here on out or on, till I stop loving you. But nobody owes a thing to Kitty Foyle except Kitty
5: Foyle. Kitty. Wait, Kitty. <laughs>
2: Before continuing with part two of Ginger Rogers' Academy Award winning performance of Kitty Foyle, let's look in on the RKO lot where they are shooting the final scenes of Ginger's new picture, Sam Wood's production of Heartbeat. All
5: right, boys. Here we are, much like
2: Alice in Wonderland, isn't it? Walking into a strange new world. Had you any idea it took so many skills and craft to make a fine picture? Here's a young lady we might persuade to talk to us for a second. Oh, Miss.
3: Hello. Uh,
2: hello. May I ask what your job is on this lot?
4: Sure. I'm a makeup girl. Right now I'm working on Heartbeat. That's Miss Rogers' new picture, you know.
2: Yes, I know. That must keep you pretty busy, doesn't it?
4: Well, I'll say it does. But it's worth it. Just wait till you see Ginger Rogers in this one.
2: Well, I'm certainly looking forward to that. But tell me... In your job of makeup, I imagine the smile is pretty important, isn't it? Yes,
4: sir. The smile is everything. Well, same
2: in my business. You see, Squibb Dental Cream encourages a sparkling smile, and it refreshes your mouth at the same time. Everyone enjoys the minty taste of Squibb Dental Cream. It's so cool and fresh.
4: Yes, I know.
2: And did you know that the polishing agent in Squibb Dental Cream is one of the safest, softest, yet most effective known to dental science?
4: Well, I'm glad to know.
2: And did you know that pure squib Dental Cream has to pass more than 100 separate tests before it touches your brush? It's just one more evidence of the scientific care that goes into the making of this quality dentifrice. Use squib Dental Cream regularly. Taste, feel, and see the refreshing difference. two of tonight's picture, Kitty Foyle, starring the Academy Award winner, Miss
5: Ginger Rogers.
4: You thought you were off the stay ride, right, Kitty Foyle, when you took your shattered little pieces of pride and went to New York to ring the liberty bell, but you were wrong. Getting a job selling perfume, meeting a swell guy like Mark, hiding your pain in the crowd's no dice, Kitty Foil. You were still on that sleigh, and you had a ticket in your heart for the entire trip. Holly! Well, for heaven's sake, what's going on here? I don't know. I got home, and they started coming. Somebody's nuts. I know the delivery boy like a brother right now. You should see what's in the bathtub. Water lilies. And look at these. A hot house <laughs> we got. A million dollars worth of flowers, and they're all for you. For me? Well, who are they well, they're from Wyn. It's Win. Come in. When?
5: When? Kitty.
4: When? How did you ever find me?
2: I just followed my heartbeats. Here. Presents. Shall I go outside while you dress, or can I just close my eyes? dress? We have a date tonight for the assembly. Only ours is going to be right here in New York.
4: Oh, When. You remember. Hey,
2: I, I hope you like this dress.
4: Oh, Golden May. Oh, When. Kitty.
2: Kitty, I forgot to tell you. What? How much I love you.
4: Oh. Oh, how much do you love me?
2: If I said as much as you love me, would that be enough?
4: Oh,
5: darling.
4: If that were true, there wouldn't be any love left for anybody else in the whole
5: world.
2: Having fun?
4: Mm, I'm dancing in a dream.
2: Our very own private assembly ball. At the Ritz. <laughs>
4: hmm?
2: Eric. I've got something for you. Yes.
4: Yeah. What? What is it?
2: A ring, darling.
4: Wow. Oh, but it's beautiful.
2: It was my great-grandmother's. Oh. It's a symbol of eternal life. A snake eating its tail, you see? Oh, I see. A symbol of eternal life. My great-grandmother, to me and you, and to those that come after us forever, it's our family.
5: When?
4: Well, why... Uh... Are you giving it to me,
2: Kitty? Will you marry me?
4: Oh. I can't. You love me now only because we're not in Philadelphia.
2: I'll fix that. Boys, will you play the sidewalks of New York, please?
4: Oh. What's the idea?
2: Oh, that's our song now. We're New Yorkers. Live
4: it. Oh. Darling, no main line, no Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Just you and me, me and you. Dear God, please don't ring the alarm clock for just a little while. Let it go on just as it is now. Just
2: as it is now. Oh, he
4: heard me. It's Sunday morning. Oh,
2: Those are wedding bells, darling. Wedding bells for us.
4: And so you were married, Mr. and Mrs. Winwood Strafford the sixth. Remember, you read it over and over when Win wrote it on the register of that little hotel in Gretna Green. There's no use denying it; those two days were just about perfect. And then you went back to Philadelphia to tell Win's family. Hello,
6: everybody.
2: Oh, dear, come in. You remember kidding mother?
4: Indeed, I do. It's so nice to see you again, Miss Foyle. Thank you.
2: Do you remember my grandmother, and <laughs> Jessica, Uncle Edgar, Uncle Kenneth? Oh, glad to see you again, Miss Foyle. Well, the fact is, the name isn't Foyle anymore. It's Strafford. Kitty and I have been married. <clears throat> oh, why don't you say something? Oh, she's so beautiful, she's taking your breath away.
4: you have to forgive me, my dear. I just wasn't prepared for such news. You understand, don't you? Oh, of course, After all, it it is a surprise. Shall we sit down? Will you have tea? No, no, thank you.
2: When were you married, dear? Monday.
4: I see. We thought, naturally, that Wynne would wait a year. But you understand, of course, that above everything else, we'd want you and him to be happy.
2: That's first and foremost in our thoughts. Isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, okay. dear.
4: Well, I don't uh, want to seem rude, but would somebody mind telling me you what you're driving at? It's only this, my dear. Mother.
2: You see, honey, I promised I wouldn't marry you for a year. Mother was going to take you under her wing and prepare you. Prep-
4: prepare me for what?
2: You know, some school, some good finishing school.
4: School? Are you kidding
2: me? No, no, my dear. Let's keep calm.
4: Now, look. Let's get a few things straight around here. I didn't ask to marry the Straffords. The Strafford asked to marry me. I married a man, not an institution or a bank. Oh, I've got a fine picture of your family conferences here. All the Straffords trying to figure out how to take the curse off Kitty Foyle. Buy the girl a phony education and polish off the rough edges and make a mainline doll out of her. (laughs) Oh, you ought to know better than that. It takes six generations to make a bunch of people like you, and by Judas Priest, I haven't got that much time. Fine words, Kitty Foyle. Well, back to New York and your old job. It's not living, though, when every time you hear a knock on the door, you hope it's somebody you know isn't going to be there. When every time you walk down a street, you think you see him coming through the crowd. And finally, he runs into Mark again, and he takes you out for a drink. Poor Mark. He would pick Gionos. What's
2: the matter, Kitty? Don't you like Gionos?
4: Good evening.
2: Oh, uh, give us something kind of special, huh? Uh, maybe Strader? Yes. Yes, two of them. Kitty, there's something I want to tell you.
4: Mark, you knew I was married. I... Uh...
2: Yes.
4: Well, I'm, I'm not anymore. I uh, I got my decree today. Here
2: you are. We haven't had any calls for stragg in a long time.
4: Mark, I can't stay here. Mark, it's no use. All the time we're together, I keep thinking of him. And you're too nice to be pushed around. And it's only fair for me to tell you. I see. Let's say goodbye here. <laughs> Mark,
2: I'm a pretty good doctor, Kitty. But seeing you, I... I wish I specialized in heart trouble.
4: You were ghost ridden and haunted, Kitty Foyles. You ran until you couldn't run anymore. And then one day, an item in a Philadelphia paper.
2: Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Deveris Gladwin announced the engagement of their daughter, Miss Veronica Gladwin, to Mr. Winwood Stafford VI. Hmm.
4: You thought you could only die once, but you learned. You learned. And time kept on doing business at the same old stand, five years of it. Then they sent you down to Philadelphia to open a branch of the store. You were afraid to go, afraid of all the things it might bring back. But nothing happened until the afternoon of your last day, about half past four i better have some perfume, too. Oh, yes, madame. Are you going to the opera or dancing? I'm going to the assembly tonight. Oh, I see. What flowers are you wearing? Oh, I haven't thought yet. I'm glad you mentioned that, because I usually have to buy them myself. Oh, in that event, I suggest thanks fit perfume with camellias, hello. or... do call, Mrs. Stafford. Oh, thank you. Mrs. Stafford. Oh, it couldn't be. Hello? Hello. Oh, hello, Win. Oh, you don't have to go to New York again, do you? But, when? in the five years we've been married, we've never gone to the assembly together. Very well. I'm sorry, but I'll have to leave right away. May I send the perfume to the house with the other things? No. I'll make a selection some other time. The assembly. Tonight. This is Wynne, Stafford. Is that all, Miss Royal? The package is ready to go, Mrs. Stafford. Yes, that's... No. No, Wait. Here's something else. Wrap this up. This ring. For Mr. Strafford.
2: You sent back the ring. Kitty, remember what I told you? If you ever needed me or wanted me or would have me, send the ring back to me.
4: That wasn't what I meant. I sent it back because that was all. That was the end. Don't say that, Kitty. But it's true, Wynn. But you'll have to go.
2: I'm sailing at midnight. I'm asking that we leave together and be together always. Here, 48, midnight. Yes. Don't be late. Well, darling, don't be late.
4: And will I live happily ever after?
2: Forever and ever. Forever and ever. Cab, for him. Oh, yes, please. You going to be gone long, Miss Foyle?
4: Yes, certainly.
2: We don't get many pretty girls here at the hotel. We might be sorry to lose
4: you. <laughs> oh, Sam. Yes? I think that a young man will call for me a after midnight. Yes, Miss. be quite excited, I think, very insistent. Yes? I want you to tell him that um, that I admire him very much... And that I always will. Just
2: a minute, I better write this down in my pad. You admire him very much. And and
4: tell him that I'll never forget him.
2: You will never forget him. and
4: And tell him that I'll always love him in a very special way.
2: You'll always love him in a...
4: And then tell him that I'm being married tonight.
2: You're getting married tonight. Hey, what is this? Wait till, miss.
4: St. Timothy's Hospital, please. No, no. I've had enough of sleigh riding. Goodbye, Wynne. Goodbye, dear. But here's where I get off.
2: Today, medical science moves with incredible swiftness. Even before the miracles of penicillin were completely charted, work was going forward in a scientific laboratory on another similar substance called streptomycin. What is streptomycin? It is a powerful drug science has taken from the earth itself by painstaking and complicated extraction processes. What does streptomycin contribute to the conquest of disease? It is effective against certain deadly germs that even penicillin doesn't conquer. With streptomycin, as with penicillin, squib scientists are working in the forefront of progress, cooperating with other scientists all over the world in the effort to discover and prove all that streptomycin can do and to make it available as soon as possible to every doctor. For the squib idea for nearly a century has been to strive ceaselessly in the cause of health. And through its endless quest for perfection, Squib has earned its reputation everywhere as a name you can trust. Next week, another great picture. The House of Squibb will present Academy Award starring one of filmmans' most distinguished actors, Mr. Paul Muni, in his Academy Award winning performance in The Life of Louis Pasteur. Next week, it is Academy Award starring Mr. Paul Muni in The Life of Louis Pasteur. Ginger Rogers appeared in Kitty Foil tonight through the courtesy of RKO Radio Pictures, producers of The Spiral Staircase. This is Hugh Brundage bidding you goodnight until next week at the same time when the House of Squid invites you to join us for Academy Awards. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Well, I'm never
1: sorry about mm-hmm. that i thought i thought it stopped and then it started again but i never knew growing up that i took anything by the house of squib but i took plenty of streptomycin in my life so i guess i did <laughs> our next one speaking of medical our next one, folks, is um, the life of Louis Pasteur. Now, you know that he's, he was the germ guy. He got scoffed at and laughed at, but he was the one that came up with um, cures for anthrax and I believe rabies was in there and a few other things, but... um For someone who got laughed at, he came out on top. So I hope you enjoy it. Maestro.
5: The
2: House of Squib presents the finest in motion picture entertainment Academy Award. House of Squibb, manufacturing chemist of the medical profession since 1858, bring you Academy Award. The pictures, the players, the techniques and skills which have won or been nominated for the coveted awards granted each year by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences to each in his field for outstanding achievement. week, Squib on the Air brings you only the finest performances. Squib in your home brings you only the finest medicinal products, pure, effective, reliable. Squib, a name you can trust. Tonight's picture is the story of Louis Pasteur. Tonight's star is the distinguished motion picture actor, Mr. Paul Muni. The story of Louis Pasteur was written for radio by Frank Wilson with an original musical score composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. And our producer-director is D. Engelbach. Academy Award, starring Paul Muni in his 1936 Academy Award winning role of Louis Pasteur. Come, come, Pasteur. Tell us precisely what you mean. Majesty, the hospitals of Paris are pest houses. There's scarcely a doctor in the city who's not carrying death on his hands in instruments. So? And what does the learned court physician, Dr. Charbonnet, think of that? I think, Your Majesty, that Monsieur Pasteur must blame his microbes. You see, he possesses a private imagery of invisible beings. Exactly. Dr. Charbonnet could see them for himself if he took the trouble to use his microscope. He would watch them multiply into murderous millions. They'd breed in filth. They must start from the gutters in Paris tonight and by tomorrow claim some mother from this very court. Preposterous. You, Charbonnet, treated a court servant today. She died tonight, a victim of your bigotry. Moreover, the unclean midwife who attended her will attend your next more illustrious patient and may bring death to the Countess Gabrielle de Villefort. Mm. Stop! I forbid any more. You have gone too far, Monsieur Pasteur. The Countess Gabrielle de Villefort is Her Majesty's sister. Your Majesty, I speak only in warning. Pasteur, is it not true that you're practicing medicine of a kind when it is known that you're only a chemist? And is it not true that you are the author of a pamphlet that has caused the death of a famous physician. I'm not practicing medicine, Dr. Rossignol. I'm trying to put a stop to the negligence of those who do. Pasteur, in your processes for improving our wines and beer, you have rendered France a great service. We appreciate it. In the future, you will confine yourself to that field, to your uh, pasteurizations. It is my wish. No, it is my command. Now, Monsieur Pasteur, have you anything to say? It is my birthday, sire. I can only hope that God will spare me the years until these learned doctors know and understand the vicious and invisible world of the microbes as I have learned to know and fear them. <laughs> Countess de
4: Yes, Dr. Chauvanny. She.
2: Your Majesty. She. she is dead. My
4: sister. My sister.
2: It is the hand of God, Your Majesty. But
4: Monsieur, if Pasteur had been here.
2: Pasteur, Your Majesty, is not a doctor.
4: Even so, Monsieur. I did not agree with the Emperor.
2: I believed in Pasteur. And had he not been banished, he might have. he might have saved my sister. Annette plays very well. I forget that the years Pete, swiftly. She has grown to womanhood. Yes? The years of my banishment go so fast, and there is so much to be done.
4: Louis, does her playing disturb you? No,
2: on the contrary, my dear. I'm only writing a letter a letter to Dr. Lister of Edinburgh. Oh. The war with the Prussians is over. While men have been fighting each other, I have been fighting microbes, for they are the real enemies of mankind. I've discovered a new serum, a serum against anthrax, the dread disease in cattle. Tests are not yet conclusive, but I... In addition to forfeiting Alsace-Lorraine, we have to pay an immediate indemnity of five billion francs. The question is, how to raise such a sum? Monsieur President, industry is at a standstill, farms are neglected, a devastating plague destroys our cattle. Efforts to raise money have failed everywhere except in one small province, Arbois. But if Arbois can pay, why not the others? For some reason, their cattle haven't been affected by this plague, this disease the doctors call anthrax. Then what is the reason? Every animal saved will buy back some Frenchman's liberty and self-respect. Perhaps Dr. Charbonnet or Dr. Rossinol can tell us. We believe it is the fields of this province. They must be immune to the disease. We would suggest that cattle from the other provinces be driven to Arbois, there to feed upon the good pastures and be kept in healthful condition. Let it be done at once. But I heard that some person in that province had developed a serum of sorts that keeps the cattle healthy. Impossible, sir. A maddened chemist called Pasteur once blamed all disease on microbes. <laughs> we French are a very imaginative race. <coughs> This animal is immune. How many days since we injected with the serum? Six days. Six days. And four days, according to the records here, that you injected with the anthrax germs. Our serum works. Monsieur, have you read the paper from Paris? Ah, no, no, I have no time. The newspapers rule. It says the government has heard that the cattle of Arbois are immune to anthrax, and they recommend that all cattle be shipped yes. here. <laughs> Nonsense. A journalist pipe dream. Who would be so idiotic as yes, to do that? Monsieur, they have come. Half the cattle and sheep of France are being driven here.
5: Bulls! Idiots! Every inch of this ground is contaminated.
2: It is only my vaccine which has kept our cattle healthy. Uh-oh.
5: say no. No, you asked Turn I cattle about drive these cattle away from this field in his death. Death, I tell you.
2: Please stand aside, Monsieur. These cattle have been ordered here by the government. Please, Monsieur Pasteur, they will not listen to you. There is nothing more we can do. Do? No? There is something we can do. I shall appeal to the Academy of Medicine. Pasteur is right. He's wrong. Wrong. No, wrong. <coughs> Gentleman Pasteur was discovered to be a charlatan ten years ago. I see no reason for accepting him now. I disagree, Dr. Charbonnet. If someone has a cure for anthrax, I want to know about it.
5: <laughs> Mr.
2: Chairman, Dr.
5: Rossignol, I have something to propose. Let us take
1: Sorry, people. For some reason, now, for some reason, the the Dr. Pasteur one um, messed up. It stopped playing right in the middle of it, but it didn't do that the other day when I uh, checked my files. I always listen to them before I put them up here. And so I don't know what happened. The next one is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Uh Uh-oh. My computer froze. Oh. Maybe that's why it didn't play.
0: Oh, here we go. Okay, we're ready now.
1: So should, I, should I do my recording over?
0: We're not recording.
1: Well, I mean, I just recorded an announcement. You're planned. live. i oh, Okay. <laughs>
0: Enjoy the feature, folks. Uh-huh.
5: The House of Squid,
3: manufacturing chemists of the medical profession since 1858, bring you Academy Awards. The pictures, the players, the techniques and skills which have won or been nominated for the Covenant
2: Awards granted each year by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences to each in his field for outstanding achievement.
0: I think we may have a problem.
1: It looks like it, Houston.
0: I don't get what's going on. I'll have to write StreamYard about it. I'm sorry, folks. Unfortunately, uh, StreamYard is acting peculiar today
1: and uh, man this this these were good shows i picked out well for the folks that like that kind of thing we might do this one again
0: we might have to.
1: So uh, we'll say bye bye to you now.
0: <laughs> Sorry, folks. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I think StreamYard is having issues.
1: You planned it just because it was my show.
0: That's not true.
1: <laughs> oh no, but it was fun to say.
0: Uh yeah. Again, sorry folks. I can only apologize on behalf of whose blind life is it anyway. But I I you can bet I will contact uh StreamYard to find out what the hell is going on.
1: It's his fault. He doesn't like me.
0: Well, it could be the site's fault. Maybe it doesn't like you.
1: (laughs) Well, it could be. (laughs) Because
0: you couldn't find that at the stream button either.
1: I found remove from stream. Thank you. Yes, you you
0: did. Yes, you did.
1: I didn't know you had already added me. So I was diligently looking.
0: So, folks, tune in next week and we'll bring you... The Academy Awards Theater, uh, in all its fine glory. <laughs> so,
1: uh, and then the week after that, I'm gonna do something for the kitties, uh,
0: children. I think you better say children because oh, okay, children. they may think you're talking about their cats.
1: Yeah, well, maybe I can find a wow, wow, wow show. I don't know. Yeah, kid, kiddos is what I should have said. Right.
0: <laughs> anyway, bye-bye, everybody.
1: Bye, y'all.